Malcolm, thank you. We're looking forward to your ministry. Let's welcome Malcolm as he comes. much, uh, Phil. I'm encouraged that somebody has remembered a sermon that I've preached, <laughs> and uh, that, that's a, a great encouragement to me. Why do Christians meet on the first day of the week, on a Sunday morning? Compared to Jewish people from whom we um, grew, who meet on the last day of the week, on a Saturday. There are a number of important reasons for that, uh, for the Jewish tradition meeting on the Sabbath day was about remembering all that God had done. Uh, They met, their Sabbath was on a Saturday because on the last day of the creation story in Genesis, God looks at all that he has made and he says it is good, it is very good. In fact, the Hebrew word for good in Genesis chapter one is tov, T-O-V in English, or bov. It's It's a soft T, but it's hard to pronounce. And it means... And perfect, exactly as it's supposed to be, ethically, morally, um, ontologically. In other words, in its material, it's perfect. There's nothing that needs to be changed about it. It's perfect. And eight times in Genesis chapter 1, that word is used. And when God has made humanity, we're told that he looks and he says, it is very good. That goodness was lost in the fall and will not be fully recovered until the day when Christ returns. At that point, the whole earth will be made very good once again. But we live between these two spaces. Jews met on a Saturday to remember all of that. But Acts chapter 20, verse 7, John chapter 20, verse 1, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and 3, and a couple of other places in the New Testament uh, make it very clear that Christians met on the first day of the week. Why did we do that? Well, actually, the, the reason for it is rooted in what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning for a few minutes, um, hopefully to encourage you and to remind you of God's faithfulness. I'm looking around for a clock. There's no clock in this auditorium. That is a miracle. <laughs> um, I have no watch. What, um, Mr. Soundman, what time is it? You've got a calendar instead of a clock. <laughs> Thank you very much. What time do you need me to stop speaking? I don't. I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> Somebody else will have a time to go. What time do you need me to stop speaking? Have you got a sleeping bag, everybody, then? Okay, thank you very much. This is a very good watch, Phil. <laughs> on eBay in about 35 minutes. Um, we meet on the first day of the week because it is a reminder to us of a story that is told in John chapter 20. Now, that's where I want to start, but it's not where I want to end. So if you have a Bible with you, turn it on, or uh, please open it at John chapter 20. It was lovely to hear the uh, King James Version of the Bible read. Um, I love hearing it read publicly, but I'm reading today from the New Revised Standard Version. John chapter 20. Everybody got it? I can hear pages being turned, so that's a good sign. But no beeping. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, <clears throat> to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. The reason Christians meet on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, is because it's Resurrection Day. It is the day that we remember the beginning of a new creation. Something started in that garden in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, which cannot be undone. It's like something that a button has been pressed and the process is in, 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 in order and nothing anyone can do, no demon of hell, no political entity, no enterprise, no governor, no prime minister, no president, no law, no ritual, no rights, no hardship, no difficulty, no heartbreak, no struggle in your life, no difficulty in a church can undo what began on the morning that Jesus Christ rose again. We are resurrection people. We meet on the first day of the week because we remind ourselves that we are part of a new creation. That new creation began just as creation began in a garden. Creation began in Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden. Creation will end in Genesis chapter 20, in Revelation chapter 22, when the world has become a garden that doesn't need a sun because the righteousness of the Son of God will be its light. And recreation began in a garden called um, the resurrection garden or the garden tomb area that we don't know where it is. Some people think it's quite close to a car park in Jerusalem. Um, I think that's probably where it is. 
Other people think that it's underneath a church that's been built on a church that's been built on a church. I'm not so sure about that. But wherever it was, it was a garden. And who did Jesus appear to Mary as when she saw who he was? A gardener. This new life that has begun for us is unalterable. And every single first day of the week, Christians for 2,000 years have met to remind themselves of that story. Here's why that's important. And here's why I want to encourage you this first day of the new week. I have my calendar on um, Outlook set so that Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not just a kind of notional thing for me. Many of you will think, I go into work and my week starts tomorrow. Your week starts today. Because at the beginning of this week, you need to remind yourself that all the stuff that's being said to you by society, by the bad side of yourself, by the bits of you that have failed, isn't true. God hasn't abandoned you. He is never going to give up on his people. He's not going to walk away from us. And we meet on the first day of the week so that we can look at each other and say, don't forget, sister. Don't forget. Don't forget, brother. Don't allow yourself to forget God is still with his people. Jesus is alive. The problem is that through the week, mud sticks to us. The stuff that people say, the things that we do, the mistakes that we make, the situations we get ourselves into, the circumstances we find ourselves in. So by the time we get to the end of the week, all of that stuff has stuck on us a little bit. I don't know about you, but um, I don't like coming to a church service where I leave more miserable than I entered. And there are a number of churches that I could tell you that are like that. You come in with a semblance of hope and you go out with nothing but guilt and fear and anxiety. I'm not sure that's how God works. I think what he does is he confronts our sin. He challenges our mistakes. He tells us where we're getting it wrong, but he shows us the way out through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why, as our brother led us in a beautiful act of remembrance, when we eat bread and drink wine, we remember that Jesus has died and has risen again until he comes. We allow ourselves to be encouraged. Sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes church can be hard. Sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes it's uncertain. But in the middle of all of that, never think for one moment that God breaks his promises. God is faithful. He is always faithful. And according to uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus quoted a passage from Isaiah chapter 42. I'm sure you know it very well. A bruised reed I will not break, and a smoldering flax I will not extinguish. And some of you feel like that today, a bit bruised, a bit battered. Family's not going so well. Life isn't going so well. Marriage isn't going so well. Church isn't going so well. And you feel a bit bruised. You feel a bit fragile. Well, here in this gathering of saints, on the first day of the week, let me remind you of three very simple things that you can hold on to, that you can cling to, that will guide you. An invitation that cannot be ignored. A promise that cannot be broken, and a hope that can never be taken away. 
That's all I want to talk to you about, then we're done. Is that all right? Here's the invitation that cannot be ignored on this first day of the week. After a busy period of ministry, when his disciples were running hither and thither and hadn't had a chance to stop for five minutes, let alone a day, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 tells us this. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have to say, those words have been a lifesaver for me over almost 30 years of Christian ministry. But very rarely have I seen Christians, and Christian leaders in particular, live them out. I've watched as Christians have been worn down by ministry and serving Jesus. I've watched as they've got tireder and tireder of tireder. I've watched elders and deacons and pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists grind themselves into the ground with their life and their energy draining out of them. I've watched Christians in business, Christians in education, Christians in politics work so hard and do so much in their own strength that they end up exhausted. But this invitation must not be ignored. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a place that you can find rest and peace and balance and rhythm, and that place is Jesus Christ. Church will not save you. Being part of a congregation will not always bring you joy. Sometimes it will be a difficult and troubled and heartbreaking experience. But Christ is never heartbreaking. He is always heart-mending. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I wonder how many of you this morning need to let God restore your soul. Never mind all the stuff that you're facing. Never mind all that is going on. You need God to restore you. No one else can do it. My prayer is in the last 15, 20 minutes of this service that the God who has been present from the very moment we began will reach into your heart and will start to draw out gently those things that need to be washed away from you this week. As you begin this week, Have a think as you listen to me. I give you permission to zone out from me for a moment or two. What's gone wrong this week? What are the things that you've got wrong? Where are the mistakes that you've made? What are your regrets from the last seven days? The things that you've said to each other as husband and wife that you wish you hadn't. The time you lost your temper with the kids those things that you've thought about people that were once part of this church and might have left, the things that you've experienced in your heart, the mistakes that you've made, the regrets, the the natural reactions that you have had this week, we all have them that make you think, my goodness, I am so far from perfect. It is unbelievable. Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy that wrote um, the Sherlock Holmes books, you've heard of him? He once wrote to 10 of his friends, and this is what he said, um, flee 
all is discovered. He didn't know anything about them, by the way. Within 24 hours, they had all left the country. So what if I, by some act of supernatural insight, pulled down a whiteboard behind me and said, I'm going to write every thought you've had in the last seven days. Everything that you've said and done, I know. <laughs> I'll give you five minutes to leave the building. How many of you would leave? I would leave. But the reality is, we don't need to run away with that brokenness. We need to run toward God with it. Come to me. And I want to invite you silently to come to Jesus again. And to forget for a moment about everything else that's going on in your life. Everything else that you're facing. And remember that he loves you. Remember that his grace is sufficient for you. Remember that his compassion and his mercy will never run out. And receive the wonderful gift of rest, a rhythm to your life for the following seven days. I know some people that think that they can get this rhythm and it can last for years and years. I'm, a, I'm not like that. I need to renew that rhythm every single day. The reason I get up at quarter past five every morning and spend a couple of hours silently reading my Bible and silently praying is I need to grind myself in that rhythm every day because I'm not strong enough to make it last a week. I'm not strong enough to keep that rhythm for a month. I am utterly and completely dependent on a daily connection with God and with his grace and with his mercy. And I'm so grateful that that's how he's wired me. Come to me. An invitation that can't be ignored. What about a promise that can't be broken? It's very simple. It's found just before Jesus leaves the physical earth and goes to heaven to be with his Father, where he ever lives to make intercession for us now. By the way, that passage, he ever lives to make intercession for us, doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow praying for you. His very presence before the Father is the intercession. He is now an exalted man. And as he stands before God the Father, his very presence is evidence that God will finish the work in you. As he stands before his Father, his very presence shows that you have, and can, you have been redeemed and will be perfected. He stands as a witness in heaven's throne of all that he has achieved on earth. All of your sins have been forgiven. All of your mistakes have been put right. All of those things that have separated you from God have been dealt with by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's quite exciting. But the promise that cannot be taken away is this. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And amongst his instructions, and amongst all that he says to his disciples that they are to do, is this powerful promise. And uh, you know the Great Commission, I'm sure, but Jesus says to his disciples, go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, you go, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have uh, commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Anybody like woodwork? Nobody likes woodwork. (laughs) Well, that's good, because I don't know the first thing about woodwork. But my father-in-law loved woodwork until dementia meant that he couldn't practice his wood turning. And his uh, big bench, the reason my wife isn't with me this weekend is it's my mother-in-law and father-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary yesterday. And she's uh, with them because it's probably going to be the last one that her dad will have on earth. But he has a big bench in his garage and it has a vice that he used to um, screw big bits of wood into and it wouldn't move. Don't ask me how it worked, but the wood could spin, but it couldn't go anywhere. And then he'd use a chisel and make things out of it, um, candlesticks and table legs and mushrooms and all kinds of things, amazing woodwork. Imagine that that vice for a moment is um, the beginning and the ending of the Great Commission for you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. One side of that bit of wood. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. The other side of the wood or the other side of you. You are gripped by a double promise from God that will never be broken. Jesus has the authority and you have his presence. And that holds you in place. And nothing can break that grip. Nothing can destroy that vice. Nothing can undo it. And therefore, you are able to go and to baptize in his name and to disciple people. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in your own cleverness or your own ability, but because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Son, and the Son has promised never to leave us. So we are held in this powerful promise. God isn't going to abandon us. When have you felt that abandonment in the last six months? There have been times in my Christian life where I have not felt God's presence, but it doesn't equate to God's absence. God is always with you. There's nowhere that you can go that God is not. There's nothing that you will face where the presence of God will not be with you. I will be with you always. When you get it right, he's there. Praise the Lord. When you get it wrong, he's there. That's more challenging, I think. Because you know that God is witnessing what you're doing. He's looking at what you're saying. He's listening to your words. And yet he still doesn't turn his back on us. God will never turn his back on you. If he does... He would have to apologize for the New Testament. His son doesn't tell lies. I will be with you always. Now, you might not feel it, but the reality is that it's true. In Cologne, after the Second World War, there was a um, cellar that was uncovered. And somebody had been hiding in it for four years. And they'd scratched on the wall, I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. 
I believe in the Son even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. The invitation that can't be ignored is come to me. The promise that can't be broken is I will always be with you. And the hope that cannot be taken away is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter trying to encourage a church that was being persecuted by Rome and was uncertain about its future and didn't know what was coming next said to them, we have this hope which is laid for us in heaven, unspoiled, undefiled, and untarnished. The hope that we have cannot be destroyed. It can't be defiled by the words of the world. It can't be defiled by your experiences. It can't be defiled by sin. It can't be defiled by anything. It can't be undiminished. It can't be diminished. It can't be reduced. It can't be snuffed out. It can't be made to look dark and bleak. Well, the devil will try to do that, but the Word of God tells us that the hope of an eternity with Christ is like a light that will never go out. It's like a promise that can never be broken. It's like a a, a sure and strong assurance. It's a signed contract offered to all who are in Christ. I know life can be hard. And I know it can be uncertain. And I know there are times when we feel as if we've made another mess of things. And I know what it feels like to look at the way I've brought up my children and think, I wish I'd done that differently. Or the way I've behaved as a husband and said, I wish I'd done that differently. Or as a pastor and a leader of a church and said, I wish I'd done that differently. I'm not one of these people that looks back over my life and says, there's nothing I would have changed. I've done everything right. That's not me. I look back over my life and ministry and I say, there are many things that I think I could have done better. But none of them disqualify me from the grace of God. None of them mean that I'm written off. Because God's invitation to me is sure. His presence with me is sure. And the hope that I have is sure. Today, whatever you're facing, whatever you are going through, may you know deep in your heart on the first day of the week that you can revisit these three simple things. God's invitation is still open to me. His presence is still with me. And his purposes will not be changed. Let those three things wash away the disappointment of last week. Let them wash away the regrets. Let them wash away the sadnesses and the despairs. Let them wash away all the things that have gone wrong. And ground yourself in what God has promised to you. His peace, his hope, his purpose, and his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for you anyway, so you may as well let me. (laughs) Would you mind bowing your heads for a moment? I'm just going to pray for you the way I would pray for my congregation in um, Gold Hill. I don't know you. Some of you might be visitors or guests here today. And you might not yet know Jesus Christ. So you haven't responded to the invitation to know him. 
As our brother reminded us when we took communion, Jesus died on a cross so that you could have life. There's only one way into the promise of his presence. That's repentance. Church attendance won't cut it. Reading your Bible, being a good person, none of those cut it. The only thing that can bring new life to a human being is being born again by Jesus Christ's power and by the operation of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment of being born again, your sins are washed away. You are restored in your relationship with God and you're given hope, purpose, and meaning and a new identity. In order to experience that, you must make a decision to turn from your old life and all of its ways and acknowledge your need of Jesus Christ as a Savior. He is here today to offer that new life. I have a couple of questions. I'm the only one looking so that you can have dignity in this. But if you're here and you've never become a Christian and today you'd like to start that journey, whilst no one else is watching, would you mind just popping your hand into the air and taking it down again so I can see it and I can pray for you? I don't know if anybody isn't a Christian here. My second question is to those of you that are Christians. And in your heart, you're saying to the Lord, I want to enter this week with a fresh sense of assurance. And I recognize today that I need to step into your promises and I've made some mistakes. I've I've got some stuff wrong. I want to leave it in the past. Put your hand up if that's you. Bless you all. Bless you all. What a wonderful response. Take your hands down. So Lord, I pray for my sisters and for my brothers. None of us are perfect people. But we have a perfect Savior. Thank you for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. And on this first day of the week, we say yes to the invitation to walk with you. We accept deeply the promise of your presence and thank you for it. And we allow the assurance of the hope of what you're doing in us to shape us. Lift your people. Be tender toward them today. From young people that are trying to work out what comes next to older folk determined to finish well. Thank you for the beauty of your church. And thank you for what you're doing in Dundong Leelam. Bind this family together. I come against the work of the enemy in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that you, the angel of the Lord, guard those people that you love. Guard this community. Guard their hearts. Guard their relationships. Guard their attitudes. Guard their intentions. And let love and mercy and grace flood their souls. Give them a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today. 
to walk in all of your ways, from the mum wanting to be faithful to the dad wanting to be faithful to the businesswoman and the businessman, to the leaders, every single person, Holy Spirit, give strength and courage and hope and comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, I want to bring a real word of encouragement talking about um, uh, posturing ourselves for growth. What does it mean to be open to what the Holy Spirit might want to do in our lives. Faith is a wonderful adventure, and it demands risk. It demands stepping out into the unknown. It's going to be a passionate, beautiful evening together. I'd love to see you here. And even if you don't normally do church on a Sunday night, sure, come tonight. Have your dinner a bit early and come and maybe give somebody a ring who's discouraged, somebody who has lost their way a bit, somebody who's finding life a bit hard, maybe a Christian that's walked away from the Lord or somebody that you know that isn't yet a Christian, get on the phone to them this afternoon and say to them, look, I'll even buy you a cup of coffee afterwards if you come. Do something, bribe them if you have to, but don't tell them that I told you that. I'd love to see you tonight. Thanks very much.